so good to be back with you guys. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Oscar Navarro. I uh, host a television show with Ray Comfort called Way of the Master and a podcast called The Living Waters Podcast. And I get to come in here and, and preach and spend time with you guys a couple times a year, and it absolutely blesses me. So let's uh, go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Because <laughs> I know you guys are all wondering, why is he wearing a sports coat <laughs> in the middle of summer? Uh, Wednesday night, I'm in an adult basketball league, and uh, Wednesday was our final game for the championship. We won two before. We lost one to the team we're playing against. And about seven minutes in, I jump up to block a shot and uh, bump into someone's shoulder, and I ended up landing on my face. There was quite a bit of uh, blood, and my, my wife and kids took me to urgent care where they patched me up. The worst part of the whole thing is that as I'm in urgent care, I get a text message that my team lost the game. So I'm looking for a new team. <laughs> they disappointed me. I texted Pastor Mark. I'm like, hey, just a heads up. This is what's going on. And he was like, don't worry. They're used to ugly. No. <laughs> he didn't say that. My wife and kids says that I look like this emoji. Messed up. You guys are laughing at my face. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray before we get started. And I hope that it's not a distraction to you guys. A friend of mine was like, are you still going to preach? I'm like, man, you know, the Apostle Paul, he was shipwrecked, beaten, robbed, in prison, and it never stopped him. So I think I can do it with one eyebrow. Does that sound good to you guys? Cool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your grace in our lives. Thank you for being our Father in heaven who loves us. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that we just sang that you give to us, which is that those who the sun sets free are free indeed. Lord, I fully recognize that there are so many things that can distract us from what you want to reveal to us this morning, whether it's our busy schedules, the stress of getting here on time, disagreements that we had throughout the week, the anxiety of the upcoming week. God, I pray that the spirit would be here, that you would pull away all kinds of distractions so that we might gaze upon your glory and what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, during, during the summer, my kids and I, also I'm slightly concussed, so if I mutter my words, no, I'm kidding, I'm not concussed. <laughs> During the summer, my, uh, my family and I have been watching some of the classic Disney movies. And uh, at the risk of becoming the Disney preacher, because my wife pointed out that I used Buzz Lightyear last summer, I promise that I'll never have a sermon titled, What Disney Princess Are You? That's not going to happen. Don't worry. But uh, we're watching Aladdin, and it kind of dawns on me that Jafar is this really interesting bad guy that I think we could all kind of relate to. Because if you think about what motivates Jafar in the movie, it's not pride, it's not revenge, it's ultimately not a girl. What motivates Jafar in the movie is his obsession for power. When you first meet Jafar, he is the right hand of the Sultan. So you could argue that he's one of the most powerful people in the kingdom already, but it's not good enough for him. 
And so throughout the movie, we see that he ends up getting a hold of the lamp. And so now he's got his three wishes. And at first, he wishes to be the sultan so that he can have power over people. And then he wishes that he be the most powerful wizard in the world. And then at the end of the movie, here's the part that, that interested me, is that Aladdin, the good guy, beats the bad guy, not by taking away what he wanted, but by giving it to him. See, at the end of the movie, Aladdin's the one that points out to him that the genie is still more powerful than you. And he realizes that it's true and his obsession for power makes him use his third and final wish. He wishes to be just as powerful as the genie and he gets exactly what he wants. And towards the end of the movie, you see as he's like spinning the universe in his hands, celebrating all the power he has right in that moment, these chains lock him up. And what happens? He becomes a slave to the power. He becomes a servant to the laws of the genie, he becomes enslaved. I think if we reflect on our lives, that there's a Jafar in all of us. You see, we each have these misguided desires, these misguided wants, that if we're not careful, they have the power to enslave us. And the scriptures call these misguided desires sin. And if, if we are not careful, we will be like Jafar, enslaved to them. But Jesus, Jesus offers true spiritual freedom. And that's exactly what he's talking about in John chapter 8, when he's talking to the Jewish people. Verses 31 to 36. Let's go ahead and read that together. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free and Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Friends, there are ways in which we can make sure that we never fall victim to becoming enslaved to sin. And one of the ways in which we can avoid the enslaving power of sin is to remember that freedom is not about having no shepherd, but about having the right shepherd. Notice how the people respond to Jesus's offer of freedom. They say, we are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They have this pride to them. They're offended by Jesus's offer of spiritual freedom. And in order for us to understand what's going on here, we need a little bit of biblical background because it is kind of a weird brag, right? They're like, 
like our grandfather's Abraham, which is weird. Like if I'm on the basketball court and someone makes fun of me, I'm like, my grandma's Ernestina Padilla. They'd be like, all right, cool, dude, whatever. Here's what's going on. They are Abraham's offspring. And Abraham is arguably one of the most important figures in all of human history, not just in Christianity, but he's the founding father of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, which makes up for about 60% of the world population. And this is true because of a promise that God made to him back in Genesis chapter 12, in which God goes to Abraham and he tells him, that he will make him into a great nation, that his descendants will become a great nation. This is what scholars would tell you is called the Abrahamic covenant. And Jesus is speaking to the descendants of Abraham in this moment. And so, of course, it makes sense to us now that they feel entitled to a sense of freedom because they see their religious pride and even their nationalistic pride because they're Jewish people. They see it built up in the idea of freedom. So they're offended. They're like, "We're, we're already free. What are you talking about? And Jesus' response is gentle. He's like, yeah, you're right. You are Abraham's offspring. I'll give you that. But you're still a slave. And here's the verse that I think is a punch to the gut, not just to them, but to us today in 2022. Here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Freedom is an interesting thing because it's held in such high regard in the West. Like us as Americans, we love, rightfully so, freedom. We celebrate freedom. We honor those who have sacrificed to provide freedom. We understand the importance and we love free speech, freedom of press, freedom of movement, freedom of expression, free tacos. Like give it all to me, we want it all. We talk and celebrate so often about freedom, but have you ever stopped to ask, what is freedom? What does it actually mean to be free? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because if we're gonna celebrate something, we should probably stop and define what it means to actually be free. There's this uh, national Who made this? There's this video online, uh, National Geographic made it. And uh, you can find it on YouTube. They go to 22 different countries and they ask 22 different people in all sorts of different languages, mostly Western countries, what their understanding of freedom is. And the, the answers vary, but there's actually a common theme. I pulled some of the quotes for you. Here's what they say. A girl in Italy says that freedom is liberating yourself from other people's expectations. A boy in Hong Kong says that freedom is doing what your heart wants. A girl in France says that freedom is freedom of expression, thought, and action. And probably one of my favorites, a guy in Serbia says that freedom would be that he could run around in the streets naked. (laughs) That's not the kind of neighbor that you want, by the way. If you were to summarize the myth that they believed, and a myth could be either a true myth 
or a false myth. If you can summarize the myth in Western culture about what freedom is, you could say that the myth is that freedom is having no master. But what do we know about human nature? What does both sociology and more importantly, what do the scriptures tell us about how we were created, how we function? See, what we learn is that we are made, designed to both follow and worship. We are at all times always following and worship something in someone. There is no way around this reality. It is like breathing. It is in our nature. It is a part of what it means to be a human that you were made to follow and worship. It's just like the famous 1970s uh, theologian Bob Dylan said, everyone's got to serve someone. Side note for the youngsters, it's not actually a theologian. Don't, don't try to buy his book. And the thing is, we don't just follow something or someone. We don't just follow our passions or misguided desires. The scriptures tell us we actually come to worship them. And that is because we are created to ultimately first and foremost worship God. I mean, that's what he says in Isaiah 43, the people, that's you, whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. See, the story in the scriptures is that you and I were created, designed to follow and worship and praise the creator, but instead, we choose to follow and worship and praise creation over creator. And if that's true, which I believe that it is, the question isn't if you are following, but what are you following and worshiping? And the thing is, is that the people in John 8 were built up in their own religious and national pride so much that they were angered by Jesus's offer of true freedom. They were blind by their own pride and we cannot fall into that same trap. We cannot say like what they said, how dare you, I'm already free, I follow nobody. I got a friend who uh, I worked out with the other day and he showed up with a shirt that said, not a sheep. And he explained to me why he bought it and I would like was on the same pages of him. But uh, I did point out when I first saw it, I'm like, actually you are a sheep. You're just following a different shepherd. What the shirt should say is different shepherd, which of course doesn't have the same punch. It doesn't sound as tough, but it would be more honest. We are all sheep. Who is your shepherd? That's the question. Who is your shepherd? What are the things that you have made your slave master? What dictates your moods, defines your hopes, and determines your happiness? That's your slave master. And the first step to recognizing this is true and freeing ourselves from the enslaving power of sin is confessing that it's a reality. 
And it's so important for us to do so because the problem is, is that sin as a slave master is unrelenting. It takes more and more from you every day and offers back less and less until you are utterly undone. David Foster Wallace, the uh, mid to late 90s philosopher said this, everybody worships. This guy's not a Christian, by the way. I think it's important. What he's doing is he's peering into the reality that we understand to be true. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Do you see the enslaving reigning power of sin will control you, disrupt your relationships, and eventually destroy you. And it's interesting that often when you hear religious people talk about sin, they talk about it from a moral high ground perspective. And while God's commands certainly tell us something about morals and ethics, it's important to note here that Jesus is talking about sin as this destructive behavior in our lives. You know, honestly, it reminds me a bit about like what you would see from someone addicted to drugs where like they think they have control over the drugs, but everybody around them can clearly see that the drugs have control over them. And as their entire lives are falling apart, as their body is falling apart in front of you, you you see them just being given over to the power of drugs. You see, sin is to the soul what drugs are to the body. The myth in the West is that to be free is to have no master. But the truth is that freedom comes when you have the right master. At some point, I could hear uh, like somebody who might be exploring the Christian faith right now not categorize themselves as a follower of Jesus, they might be saying to themselves, well, hold on a second, though. Doesn't Christianity come with its own set of demands, its own rules to live by? I mean, that doesn't sound very freeing to me. And I'm glad you asked that question, imaginary person, because it brings me to my second point, which is that freedom is not doing whatever you want to do, but doing what you were meant to do. You see, part of the problem is that you'll often hear religious zealots, let's call them, present God's laws and commands as these like arbitrary rules to live by. And if you don't do it, you're not a good enough person. Think about this. There is nobody more interested in your joy than God. He's even more interested in it than you are. 
And there is nobody that knows you better than your own creator. And if those things are true, then don't you see that God's commands is his way of wooing you, inviting you, showing you how to live joy-filled, free lives? Isn't it possible that his commands are ways in which you can experience true freedom? I mean, think about, again, the nature of freedom. Because what we heard early is that there's like freedom is like this unrestricting way of just absolute freedom. But if you think about it, freedom almost always, actually, I'm going to go ahead and say always comes with a certain aspect of discipline. If you want to experience financial freedom, you might have to discipline yourself to an education. You might have to discipline yourself to hard work, restrict your spending, and only after those disciplines will you be able to experience financial freedom. If you want to experience the freedom of a healthy life, you have to discipline yourself in the way that you eat and you work out. You see, true freedom comes with certain disciplines. And that's what God is inviting us to. And here's what's interesting, is that the scriptures tell us that these disciplines are ways towards joy. And modern sociology and surveys would actually prove those to be true. Uh, This lady, uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, wrote a book called Confronting Christianity. It's a great book, 12 chapters, strongly recommend it. And in one of the chapters, she goes through all of these different surveys to to show how Christians end up being happier than other people around them. Not that they don't suffer, but ultimately they experience more joy. One of the ones that she points to is the National Health and Social Life Survey, which asks the question, who's happy with their status of intimacy? And what it showed, and this is a a, a non, it's a bipartisan organization that's taking this survey, and what they discovered is that Christians, church, regular church members, married to the same, somebody of the same faith, report the highest level of satisfaction when it comes to intimacy. And do you know who reports the lowest level of satisfaction? Sexually active single people. Isn't that interesting? We shouldn't be surprised though, huh? She concludes at the end of the chapter that instead of Christianity being a buzzkill, it's actually more like a miracle joy. She says that Christians are statistically more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, are less likely to commit suicide, have greater purpose in life, are less likely to divorce, are more self-controlled. You see, it's as if we're not held captive from our desires but by our desires. And God's commands are not there to rob us of our joy, but to invite us into joy. And this is C.S. Lewis's point in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says it like this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
maybe you've been, uh, you'd categorize yourself as somebody following Jesus for a long period of time. Maybe right now you're thinking to yourself, you know, I remember experiencing that kind of spiritual freedom at first, but man, a few years into this or a couple of decades into this, and it kind of feels like I've picked up and started following those old slave masters again. I just want to point out that the nature of spiritual freedom is both immediate and progressive. To be a Christian is to experience immediate spiritual freedom. But just like we talked about before, being a Christian also means disciplining yourself to the graces of God. And so if you in your life right now are not experiencing that type of spiritual freedom, is it possible that you haven't been disciplining yourself to God's goodness? Look at what Jesus says. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What are you guys abiding in? What what dictates your moods? Where is your attention given to? Because our regular rhythms of life are set up to not direct our hearts towards God, let's be honest. I mean, if you're anything like me, really the thing that directs my moods more than anything else is this thing right here. And what does it say? It says to abide. And I love that he uses that word abide because what abide means is not just like, read this. Abiding means it's relational. It's like spending time in, immersing yourself with, embedding yourself. It's almost, it's relational. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of what it's like to uh, have a relationship with your kids. Like if you're the kind of father that, uh, if I was the kind of father that was like, oh, I need to have a, a meaningful conversation with my children. I don't ever see them. So here's what I'm gonna do. Saturday from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., you guys are gonna sit down on the couch and you're gonna tell me all the things that you like and all the things that you hate. And I'm gonna give you some fatherly advice. And at nine o'clock, you need to get out of here because I got other stuff I gotta do. Like, would I ever actually get to know my children in that kind of situation? Not at all. I'm not relationally building anything with them. Anybody who's been a parent knows that, like, the most meaningful conversations, the most incredible questions or observations, you can't schedule them with kids. You just got to be there. They happen on dog walks or while you're building Legos or drawing pictures or driving home from sporting events. They just, they're like hiccups. They just show up in these beautiful, gracious, random moments of your life, but you have to be present. That's what it means to abide, is to spend time in the presence of God. If you're not experiencing, if you lost sight of the spiritual freedom that God has offered to you, is it possible that you haven't been abiding in who he is? The last thing that we need to remember is that true freedom is ultimately found only in Christ. Look at verses uh, 35 and 36. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. (laughs) 
Jesus ultimately categorizes every single person into two different camps. And I know the modern ear doesn't like binaries. They want it to be on a spectrum, but that's just not the way Jesus talks. Ultimately, Jesus says you're either in one of two camps. You either, a, a, a slave, a, you either serve sin as a slave or you serve God as a son. That's it. You have no other options. You're either serving sin as a slave or serving God as a son. And sin is a graceless, cruel slave master that will use and abuse you and leave you out to dry. But God, God is a gracious and loving father. And when you fail him, he forgives you. You know, going back to Aladdin, I love that at the end of the movie, the hero has like his one last wish, right? He defeats the enemy and he's got one last wish and he can wish to be a prince again so that he can marry the woman of his dreams and ultimately inherit the throne. But instead, he uses his last wish to free his friend, the genie. You see, it is Jesus who gives up his throne by stepping into human history for me and you. It's Jesus, the God creator, that allows himself to be imprisoned by his own creation so that you and I could experience freedom. It's Jesus who ultimately takes on the fullness of the power of sin in the wrath of God on the cross so that we would be forgiven and set free. And so if this morning you're like, I know this stuff to be true, but I just haven't been disciplined. I would plead with you that what repentance looks like, it looks like turning from the slave masters of sin and turning towards the God in heaven who loves you and forgives you. If you're stuck this morning, my invitation to you, if you're wondering like, what can I do? My invitation to you is to look to Jesus and see what he has already done for you. Because those who the son has set free are free indeed. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God in heaven, What can we say? We come to you, Lord, and we thank you. That you would send your son to die on a cross so that we who choose slavery would receive instead freedom. Lord, I don't know what sins, struggles are happening in this room. I don't know what the weeks and nights look like, but you do. And so I pray that as we open your word, it would lead us to confession, that confession would lead us to repentance, that repentance would lead us to true spiritual freedom. We thank you, Lord, that you have done the work we could not do, that you love us in ways we could not love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.